Good morning. As always, it is, is just a joy and a, a pleasure to be with you here uh, as we gather and worship and celebrate God's goodness to us. And last week we began a, a new series, a sermon series on identity. And, and the very first thing that, that we uh, wanted to talk about and really kind of try to drive home is that for disciples of Jesus, for people who, who belong to Christ, people who have been made His in baptism, identity is not something that we create for ourselves. It's not something that we look inward for. It's not something that we find in, in what we do or the things that we accomplish. But for disciples of Jesus, people who belong to him through baptism, identity is something that we find in Jesus and what he has done. As we wrestle with that question, who am I, we find the primary answer is in who Jesus says we are. And last week we started out in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and then also in John chapter 1 and we discovered that the very first place that we find our identity is just in the simple truth that we are people who are created by God. We discover that God, out of the dust of the ground and by breathing His own Spirit into us, He created us as living creatures. And then in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, He has made us a new creation through His Son Jesus. But, you know, there's something that makes it often very difficult for us to buy into this message that identity and love and worth and value are something that could just be freely given. And and it's this message that we're told by the world over and over again in, in a whole host of ways that very simply states that love is earned. Love is earned. I mean, consider the vast majority of of your relationships. Most human relationships operate with at least a sense of this understanding that love is earned. Right? If you look at your relationships within the workplace with your coworkers and and your superiors, a lot of times love and acceptance is, is pretty much tied to performance. If you perform well, you will receive praise. You'll get a raise. You'll get uh, uh, you'll get that promotion. Because love is earned. And if you doubt that, well then, see any time your performance or a co-worker's performance begins to slide and, and the, the reprimands come in. right? And when it comes time for bonuses, if your performance is low, your bonus might reflect that. Because love is earned. Or even think of, of many of your, your friendships. Uh, if, you're, if you're like me, you've probably experienced instances where friendships begin to deteriorate when, when you're not able to get something out of the friendship anymore. You really only put into it what you can get out of it. And, and so if someone doesn't have something to offer to you, a lot of times what will happen is we'll find less and less time for those people. It, it sounds pretty awful to say, but oftentimes that's the harsh reality. Or we live in a, in a culture, in a society, where one's worth is pretty much rooted in, in what your taxable income is. Or, or even look in, in your family relationships, right? The place where we might expect love and worth and value to be freely given. We see families torn apart because someone doesn't meet expectations. Or a lot of times our, our marital bliss is, is tied to, uh, what have you done for me lately? Uh, how, how well have you met my needs? 
And, and when our spouses do things we don't like, we find ourselves increasingly frustrated and angry. When, when our spouses dress our wives and or dress our daughters in green and gold, right? It makes us a little <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> Right? And, and even with our children, right, the people that, that we want to shower love upon them, uh, without question, uh, a lot of times uh, our love is attached to, to how well our kids behave. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that while I would like to say that I love my daughter no matter what, I think I love her a little bit more, and, and I find her a little bit cuter when she's sleeping soundly <laughs> and not waking up every couple of hours. And the message that we hear over and over again, and and the message that we maybe even send to others, is that love is earned. And this message that love is earned uh, causes us to call into question, really, this idea that love, value, worth, identity could ever simply be freely given. Causes us to question what God has said about us. And what I find very interesting is that Um, at the very beginning, where temptation first enters in, begins with just that. It begins with questioning what God has said. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam and Eve, they're, they're placed in the Garden of Eden. As God has made them as his creatures, he puts them in the garden to work it and to keep it. And one of the things that Genesis 2 says very plainly is that they were naked, they were unclothed, And they were unashamed. Because Adam and Eve, they were secure in their identity as God's creatures. It was not something that they had to attain for themselves. They were just simply God's creatures, objects of his love and affection. And it was not ever something that ever needed to be called into question. And because of that, they could be seen completely, known fully by God and the world around them. And not have to worry. To be unashamed, unafraid of who they are. There was nothing to hide. But then at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we see where that changes. A new character is introduced. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say? That's where temptation enters in. That's where sin begins with the simple question, did God really say? Did God really say not to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden? Did God really say to worship him and him alone? Does God really care how I use my material possessions and blessings? Does God really care about the choices and the decisions that I make? Did God really set a standard for how I'm supposed to use my sexuality? Did he really say any of that? Does any of it really matter? Did God really say? It all begins with that simple question. Did God really say that he loves me no matter what? 
God really call me his child. You see, whether it's what God has said about his law, how we're called to live, or the gospel, how, who he says we are, we, we constantly find that question still with us. Did God really say that? Did God really say? And, and we see how that question of the serpent changes everything for Adam and Eve. Verse 6 When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. That question, did God really say, that that leads to temptation, suddenly begins to then call into question this identity that Adam and Eve had been given as God's creatures. Suddenly they were no longer secure. Suddenly they thought, we, we must have something to hide. You see, we're created to be, to be naked and unashamed, unafraid of who we are, unafraid of what anyone thought of us, unafraid of how God sees us. But then, because of sin, we find ourselves naked and afraid. Ashamed of what we look like, feeling as if we have something to hide. Because after all, love is earned, right? And if love is earned, well then, what if someone sees me as I really am, sees everything, and finds something that is unlovable or unacceptable? Right? So we spend all kinds of time trying to just cover up the things that look shameful, the things that are unacceptable, Right? So we hide behind all sorts of things. We hide behind our degrees and our accomplishments and our net worth. Right? All to, pro- to just put up this version of ourselves that we would prefer that the world sees so that they might not actually see what we really are. Right? So we don't talk about our problems too much. We don't talk about the fact that we're very lonely and we find life very empty and, and maybe even a little bit meaningless because we don't want someone who's too needy in our lives because love is earned And if love is earned, then someone who's needy like me might not be all that lovable. So we fill our homes with stuff. We we shop till we drop. We, we, We load up our Amazon carts, hoping that that will somehow fill the void that nothing else seems to be able to fill. Or we try to pour alcohol and substances into it, trying to find some sense of meaning, or at least to numb the pain that we find ourselves unacceptable and unlovable. And we shove those deep, dark, ugly secrets and sins into the closet. We delete our internet browsers all to hide what people might find unacceptable and unlovable because love, after all, is earned. And if people saw who I really am, they would find something unlovable. They would find something unacceptable. 
Uh, last July, uh, I was with our youth in New Orleans, Louisiana for the youth gathering. It was a really a neat experience uh, for, for our kids and, and also for me as their pastor. And One of the, the joys and, and pleasures that I, that I had while I was down there is I got to lead uh, a session with, with some youth on this very topic, actually. And I remembered as I, as I prepared for that uh, just how much I worried about whether or not people would like me. I fret and, and I was up late and, and couldn't sleep because I was all, all worried. What, what if this presentation bombs? What if, what if these kids, they come and they're like, oh man, that guy was so lame. Like, I thought with his haircut he'd be way cooler, but he was terrible. And, and I thought to myself, I was like, Marcus, you should have stopped worrying what teenagers thought about you like 10 years ago at least. <laughs> But love is earned, right? And if we don't perform, if we don't put up a version of ourselves that's acceptable, we might be rejected. People will find something that's, that's unlovable, unacceptable. But you see, what I think we all really want, what we all really, in fact, need what we all cry out for without maybe even knowing it. It is to be seen fully, to, to be known completely, yet also truly loved and accepted. See, I think most of us deep down, we recognize that kind of this romantic comedy sort of love that says, when I love this person, I sort of see past their faults. We know that's a sham. Because if I'm only loved insofar as someone doesn't see everything about me, is that really love? If people don't love me completely, if they don't love me with the good and the bad, do they just love some other version or idea of me? But what we really want, what we really need is, is for people to see us, the good and the bad. To see us at, at our highest and at our worst and say, I accept you. I love you. Uh, a well-known Presbyterian pastor and author by the name of, of Timothy Keller, he, he puts it like this. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Right? So to be loved, to be accepted, but, but not actually known, for people to just sort of get part of you and say, I love you, that there's some comfort in that but it's kind of fake, right? It's, it's really ultimately kind of meaningless. And he says, on the flip side, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear, right? For people to actually see us and say, no, thank you, I reject you, that is the thing that terrifies us the most. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be fully known, the good and the bad, and also completely loved, that is what we need more than anything else. And that's what it is like to be loved by God. 
That's the sort of love that's behind what is perhaps the most well-known passage in all of Scripture, right? The one that you can speak without thinking. For God so loved the world, John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Everyone who does what, what wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Our God has seen you fully, completely. He, he knows it all. That You can hide nothing from him. He knows you in your best, and he knows you in your worst. He knows those deep, dark secrets that you wouldn't dream of sharing with anyone. He has seen your pride and your arrogance. He has seen our narcissism and our self-worship. And you know what he says? I love you. I give my son for you. I want to call you my own. God loves the world so much, each and every person so much, that he did not count his son too great a cost to bring you back to himself. He sent him to be beaten and bloodied and hanged on a cross also that you could be brought back to God, also that you could be grafted in and called his own child. That is the sort of love that our God has for you. You see, legalism, what we call legalism in the church, would say that you have to change and then God will love you. And the world essentially says the same thing. If you perform well enough, then others will love you and accept you. But the thing that both of these messages have in common is that they say love is earned. But you see, the gospel says something very contrary contrary to that. The gospel says, I love you without question. You don't have to earn my love. I give it to you freely. It may have cost my son his own life, but for you, it is completely free. God doesn't say to us, nowhere in scripture does he say, change, and then I will love you. Instead, what the gospel says to us is, I love you without question. Let that love change you. That love will transform you. That love will make you new. You see, the very fuel for our discipleship, the the place that we can begin to discover the power to live lives that are actually pleasing in the sight of God is all found in that sure and certain identity that we have in Jesus Christ and the love that's been made known to us on the cross. It's all found there. We, we don't change and then God loves us. No, we change because God's love. God does love us. The love that God has for us in Jesus is what transforms us. That is what makes us his disciples. Back in the, in the Garden of Eden, do you remember what God does before he casts Adam and Eve out of the garden? First, he, he, he gives these, these curses, first upon the serpent, 
then upon Eve, and then upon Adam. But amidst those curses, he makes this promise that he's going to send his son into the world. But before he casts Adam and Eve out of the garden, he does one more thing. He clothes them. He covers them. He covers them so that they wouldn't have to walk through life naked and afraid. So that they wouldn't have to walk through a life, even even a life that is very sinful, even a life that is very broken and a far cry from what God meant it to be. He didn't want us to have to spend each and every day naked and afraid. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says this, verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, in love, our God has covered you. In love, our God has clothed you. He has covered you with the blood and the righteousness of his own son, Jesus Christ, so that you would never have to be naked, you would never have to be afraid, that you would never have to fear standing in judgment and punishment before God. But in Christ, God has made known his love for you. In his love, he has covered you. May you know yourself each and every day as loved. May that love transform you. May it change you and make you new. May you know that you never have to create an identity for yourself. But may your identity rest secure in the simple statement, you are loved. Amen? Amen.